Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Alyssa Blask Campbell. She is the CEO of Seed and Sew, which supports teachers and families with tools for regulation, connection, and emotional intelligence. Alyssa is also the host of the podcast Voices of Your Village, a new member of Atlas Media, and a gathering place for parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts. It reaches listeners in more than 100 countries. Alyssa is also the author of the new book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children, which is out now from HarperCollins. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you. I'm super jazzed to get to hang with you. (laughs) So you say in the book that we are actually in the midst of a parenting revolution that is radically changing the way that we raise our kids. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think we're really starting to see kids as humans. And it's part of the title of this book, Tiny Humans, because I I think for a long time, we saw them as separate. And a lot of us were raised in this way, like there's kids and there's adults. And here's how kids should act and react and behave, etc. And then there's a different set of rules for adults and how we function and how we move through the world. And I think we're finally starting to see kids as humans and treating them with respect and really aiming for connection above all else. And part of that is changing the way we advise parents as advice givers and advice receivers. Things like just ignore them and, you know, all sorts of old style parenting advice is kind of going out the window. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that was how most of us were raised. I mean, we're kids of the 70s. I think you're a child, maybe more of the 80s. But these were not, and we make a lot of jokes how it's like, don't drown. And like, you know, it's Betty Draper sitting there with a cigarette, right? But we weren't, our parents weren't so detached from us, but they were following what did seem like best practices, right? Like what the goal of parenting and parenting advice then was to teach a kid to control their stuff by us ignoring it. Or also like, or if we went to them and be like, don't cry, you're a big boy, take them outside, you know, whatever, right? That we teach kids how to have emotions by teaching them how to control their emotions. And that was well meant, however. Totally. What was wrong with that? I'm I'm suspecting there was something wrong with that. Yeah, well, it's a no better, do better situation, right? Like, I look at, I shared this in the book, but 
I was at my mom's house and we were just looking through old pictures and there's a picture of me as a baby and I saw the car seat that I was in, which was like basically a bucket with straps. And now my two and a half year old is in like a fortress in comparison to this. And she was like, when I was a kid, we didn't even have car seats, right? So like, this was an upgrade. And we do this with some things where we're like, oh yeah, we learned that car seat safety is really helpful for keeping people alive. Here's what that looks like. We evolved the car seat. And the same thing here with social emotional development, there's been a lot of research in the last 30 years that has highlighted how we build emotional intelligence, what this looks like in practice. And now looking back, it's like, yeah, some of those practices, we didn't know any better. We didn't know what this looked like. There hadn't been research to support it. And it makes total sense to me when if you're my mom and a kid's having a meltdown and you want to teach them or a kid's hitting their sibling and you want to teach them like, that's not how we behave. Just be like, we don't hit and I'm going to punish you for it. Or there's going to be a reward in some capacity when you do something that we want to see that we're trying to either reinforce behavior we want to see or punish behavior we don't to try and get this end result. Like that makes sense to me given the research they had at hand. And now we know that behavior is really just a communication of these other needs. And we'll continue to see different behaviors pop up until we can address the needs that are driving them. We've learned more. And I think it's interesting and it's great to start at the why of this, because I think sometimes people are resistant to the idea of communication. It seems to people as we say on the podcast, a little tweet, tweet, which was uh, Amy's grandmother's expression for things that were a little too much. And I think that people sometimes hear this and what they think of is kids who are completely given their own way and spoiled, you know, and that the opposite of this more restrictive or, or, or parenting that doesn't focus on communication is like, well, the kids run the show and they kind of are completely spoiled. But spoiled is the worst thing your kid could be, right? Like that's a word you don't even hear very much, but a kid who is spoiled is what will happen if you are too indulgent towards them. And then I don't know what happens. That was a big bad thing, right? And that's changed. Right. And what's wrong with that idea that like, oh, well, listening to kids is somehow this like goofy, indulgent, new wave thing. Sure. Well, I think there is some permissive parenting that's come as like a pendulum swing from this. So I want to honor that like, that does exist. And we are going to see it sometimes. There is that pendulum swing for some folks. And what we're looking at is really that middle ground of like, I'm still going to be the one who sets boundaries and holds them, make sure that you're safe and healthy, and you're going to have to do things you don't want to do. My two and a half year old will say, Mama, I'm going to feel disappointed. And I will (laughs) let him know, like, yeah, you're allowed to feel that. Like, that makes sense to feel. It's not my job to stop him from feeling disappointed. It's my job to allow it, which is the part that many of us didn't get in childhood was the allowing part. And to give him some tools to process it and know that like, yeah, I can handle your disappointment. It's not too big for me. It doesn't change the boundary. We're still going to do this thing. You're allowed to be disappointed about it. And one of my best friends just yesterday was talking about this interaction where she was on a boat with her dad and her uh, three-year-old. And the three-year-old's like standing up, leaning over the side, trying to look out at the water. 
And the rule on the boat was you had to be sitting when it was driving so that she doesn't die. And like, yeah, fair rule. Good job, mom. And so she stands up and she's leaning over and mom went over and was standing next to her, like holding her body and telling her the rule again and why this is the rule and helping her then sit back down. And her dad was like, you're the adult. You don't need to explain this. Just sit her down. And she was like, oh, yeah, that is totally how I was raised. Like, yep, just like flashback. You don't need to explain it. And I think that's the part where it can feel like this shift from one generation to the next of like the boundary is still the same. She's still holding the you have to sit in the boat when we're driving. But now we're explaining the why. And for so many of us who were like curious kids and got the because I said so as an answer, we're like, cool, that didn't work for us. And now what I learned is just that you're not the one that I'm going to turn to when I'm feeling curious or you can't handle it when I'm having this hard emotion. And that's what I've learned for so many of us that experience that. And now we're saying to kids like, yeah, you can ask questions. It's okay to be curious. It doesn't mean the boundary changes. I think that is the really key distinction. If you're looking for a why, if you're coming to this saying like, yeah, but like kids just need to learn their place and that's how I was raised and it was good enough for me, it'll be good enough for the kids. Here's the sentence that I bolded in the book and like put it down and was like, wow, I really have to think about this. As you say in the intro to the book, we as adults tend to spend time and therapy and money and self-study learning how to feel stuff and develop coping strategies around the things that we feel. We're doing that as grown-ups because we didn't learn those things as children. And I thought... Wow, right? We have to learn this stuff and we'll learn it when we're two or we'll learn it when we're 42, but we have to learn it. Yeah. I think a lot of us, like it used to be thought that like, oh, these are just skills that you get, which is why we sometimes still see like age bias where it's like at some point kids should stop crying or they should know how to do X, Y, and Z. And it, we think of it kind of like walking or talking. We're like, Unless there's some underlying challenge, like most kids are going to learn how to walk, whether you provide all the right equipment or not, most kids are going to learn how to talk and all that. And emotional development isn't like that. It is something that's learned. And you know that when you just pause and look around at the adults in your life and you're like, yeah, a lot of them didn't learn this, right? A lot of them still have a ways to go. And when we're looking at this with kids, we're like, this is something that has to be taught. We have to learn how to tune in to what's happening in our body and what helps us regulate because it's going to be different for all of us. What's calming for me is different than what's calming for my husband. And so being able to learn those things about ourselves and then how do, once we can do those things, then learning things like empathy and social skills feel way more attainable and accessible. We're talking to Alyssa Blask Campbell. Her new book is Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children. And we'll be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro-aunt at this <laughs> yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking... I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get 
into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Hyawas created the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So Alyssa, let's talk about this idea of emotional intelligence. I feel like that's a word that is thrown around in so many different contexts. Some people have a very positive association with it. There are certainly people who have a very negative association with it. Talk a little bit about what that term means. Yeah, it's super buzzwordy. And like, I'm jazzed that it's buzzwordy. I'm so glad we're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, but what is it though? (laughs) But like all buzzwords, it sort of becomes a thing that people are like, I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. Or I don't know what it is, but I love it, you know? Oh, 100%. So when we're looking at emotional intelligence, there are a few different like definitions of it. We have five components of emotional intelligence. And generally in research, you'll find at least four of these. We have self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, social skills, and motivation, looking at intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And that all those five together come together to make up emotional intelligence. So are you able to notice what you're feeling inside, what's happening for you inside before you're exploding? Are you able to then tap into tools to regulate, to get back into a space where you can have a conversation, where you can problem solve, where you can navigate conflict resolution, where you can control your tone or your words? And then we look at things like empathy, right? Are you able to look at someone and say, oh man, I know what that feeling feels like. Not I have experienced that thing before, 
not I'm going to quote, put myself in your shoes and say like, I've walked that walk, but just that you know that feeling. And I share this in the book, but there was a kid who was building with magnetiles. Somebody bumps into it. The tile, magnetile tower crashes. And in my head, I'm like, it's not a big deal. You can build it again, right? Like not the end of the world. And then I pop in and I like try to say the right words, but inside I'm like, yeah, this isn't the end of the world. And then fast forward to, I had just folded five baskets of laundry of these piles all over my living room. My two and a half year old comes in and knocks down my piles. And in that moment, if you were like, Hey, Alyssa, don't worry. You can fold it again. Like I'm just mad. Yeah. Let's take some deep breaths and figure this out together. I'm like, no, like absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. I need time to feel mad. Do I know that I have to fold it again later? Totally. Do I want to? No. And I'm in that space right now where I just get to have a feeling. And that's where empathy comes in. It's when we empathize with that feeling. I know what it feels like to feel disappointed or frustrated. I can empathize with somebody else feeling that whether I agree with why they're feeling it or not. Social skills is the part of like, I can read the room. I know how to show up with my grandma versus with my best friend. I know how to show up in school or in a religious community versus like, I'm hanging out with pals or I'm at home, right? And that differentiation, the ability to differentiate those things is where we're looking at social skills. And this could come into like, how do I speak to one person versus another? And then we have motivation. This is that intrinsic versus extrinsic. And the goal isn't that we always have intrinsic motivation. Sometimes it's like, yeah, when I finish this thing, I'm going to reward myself in some capacity, like cheers. But if we're always reliant on extrinsic motivation, then what we start to see is less productivity and kids who truly just like don't feel proud of themselves, right? So they're always looking outside to say, are you proud of me? Have I met your standards versus... I'm really proud of what I did here. I feel proud of this. And as you list these as a parent of a kid who is on the spectrum, I immediately think these are all things that kids with ADD, autism, different developmental difficulties, five for five, generally struggle with a lot of these things. And so talk about that for a moment. And are the techniques and the approaches that you talk about in the book useful for all kids? And obviously, it's something that all kids I know need to work on. But it seems like, oh, wait, these are the big ticket things that I know kids who are developmentally different struggle with. Yeah. So I don't believe in a one size fits all approach in the same way that I shared, like my husband and I have different ways to regulate, right? Like our nervous system's different. When we're looking at neurodivergence, what we're really looking at is that we all process stimuli in the world differently and make sense of it differently. And what we do in part one of the book is get a little nerdy with you. We break down that neuroscience and like what's happening in the brain and the body and how are we different And how can we learn about ourselves and then the child in front of us in who they are as their unique self? That I, my two and a half year old is sensory sensitive. And so when we go into a space, I know that he is so good at noticing 
stimuli. He notices sounds. He notices how things feel tactily, like if something's too tight or it's itchy or whatever. And he will notice if something changes in the environment. He remembers details so well and is so observant. And from this, his nervous system can get overwhelmed faster than somebody who misses a lot of details like me. I'm like never the human who should edit your thing. I'm a 100% going to miss the details. And my nervous system can handle more stimuli at a time than his can because we have different nervous systems. And so then how we respond to kids in the moment, how we support them proactively throughout the day, how we teach these skills will be designed specifically for them and their nervous system. That what I need in the moment or outside of the moment is going to be a little different than what he needs. And so in the book, we're not like, here's the approach, you do this, and then you do this. It's more, let's look at who they are. And then we can help you figure out of if we're trying to teach these skills, what are some different approaches that might be helpful? In fact, it seems to me like extra useful in some ways, because I know that a lot of people I know who have kids who are neurodivergent, they find much more that trying to interact with family who is like, well, back in my day, we just sat through dinner. And back in my day, we just didn't talk during church. And it's like, okay, but we kind of understand now that there are kids who really struggle with this. And it's not just that back in your day, it worked. It's that we just ignored these kids and their needs. Well, they were afraid. They were frightened that you would hit them. So I guess that worked for you. It didn't work for those kids. Yeah, exactly. Or they were sent to their room and you could come out when you were ready to come out. Right. So the book, despite you're saying that it's a very uh, not a one size fits all approach, nor should it be, you do have a sort of overall approach that you introduce in this book, way to approach this work that's called collaborative emotion processing. And so walk us through that. Totally. Yeah, the SEPT method, collaborative emotion processing, and it's five components. One is adult-child interaction. So we look at what might it look like to respond to them, et cetera, and it's not prescriptive within that. There's differentiation within that. And then the other four are about us, which is the <laughs> doozy, right? Like we're like, oh yeah, tell me what to say or do with my kid. And we're like, sure, sure, sure. Let's start with what's coming up for you. Yes, always such a bummer. We're like, here's the bad news guys, it's you. You're the problem. It's you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, like you were saying that so many of us didn't grow up with this and now we're learning this as adults. And so we have to learn this as adults, right? So we have self-awareness in there for us as adults. We have self-care, which for us is like, the nervous system part of how are you taking care of your nervous system? What does it look like to take care of you and that that's going to be different for everyone? Also super buzzwordy. And for us, it's not like a weekend away. It's like, hey, are you drinking enough water? Have you had enough food? Are you moving your body? Are you asking for help or setting boundaries where it makes sense for you? What are ways you're taking care of yourself? And then we have uncovering implicit bias. This is where we dive into that childhood social programming. What are your triggers? What are the stories you're telling yourself in the moment when that child has a public meltdown or they're at the dinner table with your parents and they're not just sitting there at the dinner table, they're melting down or they're getting up, they're bopping around. And now you also have the voice of your father saying, well, back in my day, kids just sat at the table and that voice literally lives inside of you. And it's going to come up whether your parents are there or not. And so noticing those biases 
and kind of what to do with that, the triggers part of it. And then we have the scientific knowledge. This is where we get nerdy and dive into the sensory systems and how our bodies work and our brains work uh, and how we're all different in that sense. Lisa, on this podcast, we love for part three to be about solutions. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to put this into practice. We're talking to Alyssa Blask Campbell. She is the host of Voices of Your Village podcast and the author of Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. So everybody listening right now is like, this sounds good, but so I am in charge of my kid is standing on a pew and yelling, or I am at the dinner table with my parents and my kid is carrying on, like, then what? So let's talk about some of these situations. So say you're in a public place, Target, that's always our example, right? I feel like we always talk about like your kid is throwing a hissy in Target aisle six, drawing stairs, you're definitely a little bit concerned about what the lady over there who's, you know, looking at you thinks. And that person might actually be vocalizing like, well, my, we certainly did not behave like that back in my, she's literally saying back in my day. Yeah, sure. She's actually saying back in my day. <laughs> yeah. What do we do in that moment as a an emotionally intelligent parent? Sure. Well, first, like I literally lived this the other day <laughs> as a mom with a two and a half year old. And truthfully, like he is on the ground. He was disappointed that he couldn't have what he wanted. He hadn't had a snack on the way to hmm. oh, the no snack trip to Target. Jacuzzi, no snack. We got up from nap and usually we'll like have a snack at home and then we'll like go off and do things. And I just had an agenda. And so I popped him in the car and gave him a snack in the car and he didn't eat it. And so he's going into this trip a little dysregulated. And 
the not getting to have the thing he wants and targets the tip of the iceberg, right? And so when he starts to like melt and throws his body on the ground, first, I go into like scan to say like, is everything safe, right? Is he going to throw something? Is he hurting anybody else? Is he hurting himself? If he starts banging his head on the ground, like I'll step in and I'll move his body or I'll put something under it. So I'm looking first at just like safety and we'll step in as needed there. Next, if everyone's safe is me. This is where I am going to take a beat and say like, all right, he's safe. He's not banging his head. He's not throwing anything. His body's laying on the ground. He's mad. He's crying and screaming. This sucks. It's embarrassing. And I'm going to calm here. I'm going to regulate. So I just take some deep breaths while I'm watching him lose it on the floor. And maybe that lady's saying something. And I'm literally just like, that's her bag to carry, not mine. He's having a hard time. This is where I'll take deep breaths. And I usually have like a mantra for myself, like a phrase. Otherwise, I'm just like taking deep breaths and still fuming. Right. Those deep breaths become like, like rageful deep breaths. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I'll take some deep breaths and I usually have a mantra of like, he's having a hard time or in my head, I'm like, he's hungry. It's just going to take a minute. Like just reminding myself coming back to like what's happening right now and tuning out truthfully the rest of the world in that moment with my own like reminders of like, my go-to is like, that's her bag to carry. Like, that's about her. It's not about me, is what reminds me in the moment. And then I stepped over and I got to, I sat down next to him, our cart sitting right there. And he's saying, leave me alone, go away. And I sat down <laughs> next to him. <laughs> and I sat down next to him and I was like, ah, oh, you really want to get this right now. And it's not a choice. I'm going to be here with you. Pause. That's it. Like, I'm going to be here with you. And he just like kept crying, go away, leave me alone. And I'm just like there. I'm not right up next to his body, but I'm staying near him. And I'm like, I'm going to wait this out. He's hungry, right? Like, I know what it feels like to be hangry. I've been in this place where it's like tip of the iceberg, something happens. And right now he's not ready to accept food and he's going to get there. He's just not there yet. No, if I had like a timeline agenda, other kids, I might even pick him up and say like, buddy, I'm going to move you into the cart. You can still feel upset. I just have to get your siblings or we have to leave the store. I might still move through this while he gets to feel. And letting that happen. In this instance, I like had a beat. We could pause. I did have a timeline at some point with like another thing we had to go do. And I ended up cutting off his like moment of laying and moved him. And I was like, I'm going to carry you. I'm just going to go. We did the self checkout. And I just like checked things out as he's crying and I'm holding him. And we got out to the car. And when we were walking out of the car, I was actually walking out of Target and this other mom was like, oh, God, I've been there. And I was like, you know what? Thanks. <laughs> like that. Thank you. Yeah. It's not fun. I'm not like I'm having a great time right now. We got into the car and when we got into the car and I got him buckled in and he's like crying and yelling throughout this whole thing. When we got into the car and got him buckled, he had a snack like that snack that he didn't eat was right there. And eventually when we were driving, he started to eat and then he started to calm and then we could talk about it. And I was like, oh man, you really wanted to have that toy and your body felt so out of control. Let me put this in the context of a situation because I hear you. 
But I'm thinking about a situation where a crying child is much more disruptive. Or wedding, right, right. right. Like a funeral. <laughs> or I know somebody who recently, they were on, they were traveling. They went on like a sunset cruise. They did not realize when they booked it, it was somewhere far away. Oh my gosh, this is like a high-end fancy. Like people paid a lot of money to be here. And her kid went full meltdown and it's like, wait a minute, we're actually destroying like 30 other people's good time. And while I, you, so you just pull, that's where you just, so you do this, you take them out of the situation and then you have the same conversation. Do you ever say like, it is okay to feel these feelings, but not right now? Correct. The same process. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I really want to. <laughs> but in actuality, like I set this kid up for failure. If I'm in like a fancy place where they don't get to be a kid and have feelings and express in a way that like with all the tools they have in this moment, and then they are a kid and they have feelings and they express in all the ways they can in this moment. And I'm like, oh, shoot, this isn't convenient for me. That's about me. That's about my bag to carry. That's about the behavior I'm hoping they will elicit on the surface when I put them into the situation. And so for me, I'm like, all right, part of this is like, yeah, if I'm going to go to this fancy dinner, I'm going to do this thing that he can't just be a kid, then that means I'm out at some point have to have the expectation that I might have to take him out or we might have to step away. And I will also just do this at our own like dinner table. If we have, especially if like people are over, we're in a group, I am in the camp of like, you can have a hard time and everyone else still gets to like hang out and talk and enjoy their time. And you don't have to be alone. Like I will carry him away from the table and I will process with him and hold space with him and stay with him. So it's not like here, go to your room and come back when you're ready. But also everyone else gets to hang out and have a good time still if that's what they want to do. Like it doesn't get to be all about you. And you do this, like say in this situation, is there a situation where you think, okay, I'm going to stay at the table. It's my friends. I haven't seen them in three months. Here's the iPad, like just go sniffle on the couch and I'll be back in a few minutes. What is the shortcoming of that approach? Sure. So for me, if using a screen makes me a better parent, I'm here to use it, right? So just recently, my husband was traveling for work and I'm 7 billion weeks pregnant and I have a two-year-old and I like got to the place where I couldn't handle it right? Like I was overwhelmed and tired and under-resourced and had no one to tap out to. And so I turned on Daniel Tiger, which I knew he would like zone out to for 15 (laughs) minutes or 20 minutes. And it gave me 15 or 20 minutes to like calm down, come back from this, have a snack. And I'm not like coming back to this as if I left the spa and I'm in like the most Zen place ever. I'm just like, how can I regulate enough? You can't ask that much of Daniel (laughs) Tiger. It's only 22 minutes. It's only Daniel Tiger. (laughs) But I'm like, can I get myself? But it's really for me, right? Like for him, and we break this down in the book of like, when we're tapping into things like screens, we're tapping into dopamine, which is a temporary relief for the nervous system. So we're like numbing the nervous system. And what I know is like, Whatever was driving the meltdown before this is going to surface again, usually within like 15 or 20 minutes of that screen going off, if not right away. And so I need to come back to this knowing 
we're going to enter back in to whatever was just happening in a little bit. And so this break that I'm getting from this screen is for me to recharge enough to be able to come back. That makes sense. Yeah, these approaches are not necessarily magic solutions, right? It occurs to me listening to this. And then when you say, I understand that you're so upset you didn't get to have the toy, he doesn't sit up and wipe his eyes and be like, you're right, mommy. It's not a magic bullet. You've really heard me, mom. I'm now going to just give you a break and behave well in Target. But on the other hand, it doesn't work so well when we're like, you stop it right now. I am never taking you to Target again. Guess what? That also doesn't immediately work. But at least this leads to a healthy and emotionally healthy grown up. Exactly. And that we get to ultimately be in relationship with each other and be connected with each other. And like, that's my goal. I've never set boundaries for kids. And they were like, wow, I can't wait to follow it. Thank you so much for setting that for me. I can tell you really care about me. Like, that's not what's going to happen. And it can't be our expectation. I think so often we're like, if we do all these things, we will be regulated all the time. They will be regulated all the time. And we'll just all speak kindly to each other all the time. And that's not how humans work. That's not how nervous systems work. Like we cycle in and out of dysregulation all the time. And what we're really doing is saying, we're going to allow for that cycle with some boundaries around how you can express and how you can't. That is great. This was a good conversation for me today. I'm dealing with this with my teens. And let me tell you, It gets better, but a little still stays. It's different. Just gets different. (laughs) That was a point that your publicity materials made, and I wanted to underline. The book is called Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, but it doesn't mean that it's only for tiny humans, this book. Yeah. I use the set method with every relationship in my life. I use it with my husband. I use it across the board because so much of it is about us. And then it's just how do we interact with the other human once we're navigating our own stuff with intention. We're going to put a link to Tiny Humans, Big Emotions and all the places you can buy it in the show notes. But Alyssa, tell us a little bit about your work at Seed and Sew. Yeah, sweet. Thanks. I started Seed after the research ended for the SEP method. I just wanted to be able to share it more broadly with folks and people seemed to be hungry for it. So we grew to a social global community of over 300,000 pretty quickly and have a number of resources. We have parent and caregiver resources. We have a, a professional development program for early childhood educators to support teachers in doing this work. And we have the podcast Voices of Your Village and now the book as a guide for folks to do this. And tell us a little bit, because we are super interested as you are a new member of Atlas Media about the Voices of the Village podcast and what people can expect when they now tune in to listen. Sure. Yeah, I found for myself, I have a master's in early ed and I was going to all these conferences and I I just had access to a lot of experts and folks to lean on, to learn from. And most people don't have that, especially in parenting and raising kids. And I wanted to bring that to people. So I do interviews with folks, bringing all different topics from hitting and kicking and biting to like, how do we do this differently than we were raised with all the things that are coming up for us? Every week, we drop an episode on Thursday and really looking for like shame-free, judgment-free, let's just like hang out like we're having a cup of coffee together and get a little nerdy sometimes. Fantastic. We will also link to the podcast in the show notes. Check it out and go subscribe. And Alyssa, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Alyssa.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.